We're doing these a little bit differently this morning. We're talking on prayer, and I'm going to give three little sermonettes, and then we're going to sort of have a prayer practice that's going to go along with it. And the first sermonette is going to be um, having the kiddos in with us. So I want to tell you about a 24-year-old who is Navy Aircraft Commander Lieutenant Chuck Gwynn. And this guy, Chuck Gwynn, is out looking for enemy submarines. The date is August 2nd, 1945. So if you're a history buff at all, or if you're sort of paying attention in class, you should be thinking World War II, kind of the trail end of World War II. Now, this sounds like an adventure, but it's kind of not, and here's why. He is stuck 300 miles south of where they expect any enemy submarines to be. He's somewhere between Guam and the Philippines, and all the adventure, all the action is way up north. So here he is flying in in his dutiful way, showing up to do the chore, even though he may be rather doing something else. And in the midst of faithfully fulfilling his duty, he gets a call from his crewmate, and he says, hey, you better come back. It turns out that our antenna weight that was just fixed previously is broken again. So I don't know what his facial expression was, but he leaves the control to his co-pilot. He goes back to check on this thing. And while he's looking at that, his heart absolutely skips a beat and his adrenaline shoots to maximum level. You know why? He looks down and he sees something. Is it an enemy submarine? No. It's the USS Indianapolis, a ship that is sinking and sunk and has hundreds of littered crewmen all around it. He rushes back to the cockpit and begins to do his job. Now, here's what's interesting. By now, the men had spent five nights and five days clinging to stuff for, for, for dear life. There was a few life rafts, but not many. There was a few um, life vests, but not many. Most of the hundreds of men were just clinging on for dear life. Five nights and four days. Here's what's curious. Until the very moment that Lieutenant Gwynn radioed it back, the U.S. Navy had no idea it was missing. I tell you this story because uh, just this past July, July 30th, in fact, was the 78th anniversary of this event. And right up the road in Benicia, there's a memorial held every single year And this last July 30th, up in Benicia, um, where since 1960, they'd started this tradition, all the survivors would show up together once a year and they would lay a rose on the memorial to remember their fallen shipmates. And on July 30th, a guy by the name of Harold Bray, 96 years old, super slowly walks up and he lays the only rose this year that was laid. You see, he's the last man standing of all of the hundreds of people. He's the last survivor of this disaster that took place. The story tells us some things. It tells us that God uses people who are faithfully doing their duty to answer prayer. You see, this guy had a chore to do. Go search this part of the ocean. And maybe his mind was, I don't want to do that. That sounds mundane. That sounds really boring. There's no action there. But he faithfully fulfilled his duty, and God answered prayer through that guy. What's more is while you're faithfully doing your duty, oftentimes the mundane will be made worse by frustration. You ever be doing a chore or some project, and then the very tool you're using breaks? That's what was going on. He was doing a mundane chore, and the mundane chore he was doing was Uh, using the tool of the plane, and it broke, but he stayed with it. There was a guy named Cletus LeBeau. He was a survivor, and he told of his experience. So I've been talking about what it must be like from the airplane vantage point. What's it like to be one of those guys who spent five nights and four nights at sea? Well, Cletus was one of those guys. He was a fiery Christian, and he used to challenge his shipmates and call his shipmates, trust in Jesus, trust in Jesus. And he said that he spent the final moments before they were rescued, and much of the time during those four days, teaching people around him the Lord's Prayer. What Cletus was offering as a Christian 
is what we have to offer as a Christian. You see, when you're clinging for dear life in the middle of the Pacific, no amount of money matters anything to you. No amount of fame or worldly pleasure, none of that has any meaning to you. He was offering hope in the name of Jesus Christ. He was offering eternal life. That's what matters when things get desperate. We're talking prayer this morning, and I want to just tell you, I, my, my prayer for this morning has been that you would leave like you just took a really deep breath, and you feel oxygenated and incredibly energized and hopeful as you walk out of here. Do you know that almost every single person prays? Which is curious, because there's a lot of people who identify themselves as an atheist. What's an atheist? An atheist is someone who says, there is no God. But even hardened atheists find themselves praying when they're clinging to some floating thing, when their whole ship went down, all of a sudden they find themselves doing what doesn't make sense with their worldview. It's not just in the West. Worldwide through history, part of the human experience is prayer. Some people view prayer like this. John Eldred says, most people just hope things work out. Tossing up prayers, hoping to score on a Jesus lottery ticket. I think that's how some people think of prayer, right? Like, this can't hurt. It's like, I'm desperate. I'll, I'll pay the one thing on the off chance that maybe something will change. It makes sense that even atheists pray because Ecclesiastes 3 says this, that God has set eternity in the heart of mankind. So we have this restless longing that says there's something more. I was made for something more than just materials formulating together and ending with absolutely no purpose. One of the curious things that goes on, I've been in church my whole life, is people will ask this question of you sometimes. I've asked it of people. Hey, how's your prayer life? And how's your prayer life is one of those questions that you kind of hope people don't ask you. I don't think I've ever had someone go, tip-top shape. I'm, a, I'm, doing, I'm a, a plus, 100% of my prayer life. I'm praying enough. All the answers are coming through exactly how I anticipate them. It's all happening on the time frame. There's nothing but just all up and to the right. No one has answered that whenever I've asked that. Sometimes people will give sort of like a religious sounding answer that's like, I think I'm supposed to say that God's answering prayers, but if I'm honest, the things I'm praying for that I care the deepest don't seem to be coming true. As I pray, I'm not sure that, that, it's, that it's landing. It's not working. It certainly isn't working in the time frame that I would want it to. Again, my prayer this morning is that sort of a prayer performance mentality would, would, would melt away. Am I praying enough? Well, how about just begin praying? And we're going we're gonna to look at some of that. We're doing this series called On to Health. And On to Health is just all about um, our inner health. We know the basics of how to be healthy. We know why we're, we're not healthy physically. It's not a mystery to us. And so it is with inner health. We talked about the diet of the Bible last week. That's not a mystery. I'm not showing you anything new. This week I'm talking about prayer. And prayer is not anything new. We, we know this. And that middle picture is quite on purpose. I have just like regular looking shoes. To walk the Christian life this passage in Romans, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You want to know if you're actually a child of God? Are you following God? That's it. To follow Jesus Christ requires no special fitting of expensive boots at REI. You don't need special footwear. Just regular shoes going on a regular walk. That's the invitation that I want to keep putting in front of us. So here's where I'm going to wrap up this first section. I want to give you three sort of pictures of what prayer feels like. I made a list of 20. I'll spare you the other 17. We're just going to look at three. Otherwise, it'll be like a four-day sermon. Um, but prayer feels like some things. And here's the first one. Prayer feels like a waiting room. Here's what I mean by that. I had to go to the waiting room this week. I didn't have to. I got to. I chose to. And the person I was going to pick up I received a phone call. They said, be nearby, and then we'll call you. And they said very, very clearly, come inside, take the elevator to the second floor, and sit in the chairs. Does that sound really clear? What am I supposed to do? Go inside, take the elevator, and sit in the chairs. What did I do? That, and then I started doing other things. Why? Because I hate waiting. Anyone else hate to wait? Raise your hand. Like, where's my hate waiters? Come on, Gria, get your hand up. I know you hate to wait. I hate to wait. 
What's your job in the waiting room? To wait. What's everyone else's job in the waiting room? To wait. So I walked in, I went up the elevator, and I saw a bunch of chairs and people waiting. So I did what I was supposed to do. I sat down, I waited for like 10 seconds. And then I gave myself a task. I put a little, like, in my mind, I had a little checkbox. I'm like, oh, you know what? What if I'm waiting in the wrong spot? I'll just let them know that I'm here. So I gave myself a task because I hate waiting. So I went and I got in line and I said, hi, um, I'm here to, you know, pick up so-and-so. And they said, okay. They said, yeah, just grab a seat. <laughs> like, buddy, we just called you. We know you're here. Thank you. So I sat there and here's what I had to do in the waiting room. I couldn't even sit down because I just leaned up against the wall. I put my foot like this and I did this. I just took a deep breath and it didn't work. So I took like four more deep breaths. And you know what I did? I remembered Psalm 4610, which says this, be still and know that I am God. We have 13 guys that are up at the men's retreat this weekend. Awesome, awesome, awesome time. Guys, if you missed it, we missed you, honestly. It was just so good to be together. Um, we had like a hike, but then like ate Marianne's ice cream. Like honestly, our hike, it was pretty, pretty weak, huh? Pretty minimal. Like we were, me and Greer were ready to keep going, but we did a hike and then we got to eat Marianne's ice cream yesterday. It was really fun. But lots of spiritual good happening still. It's, it's wrapping up right about now. Um, but up there, the, the speaker said something that totally lands with, with the waiting room. In a waiting room, the stakes are really, really high and the control on our part is really, really low. Think about hospital waiting rooms. The stakes are high and our control is low. That's a part of why waiting rooms at hospitals can be really, really hard. And this feels like prayer. feels like prayer when the stakes are high and your control is low. That's exactly what prayer can feel like. And so God gives us this instruction, be still and know that I am God. Go back to our story for a second. It may be in the whole, in the midst of an entire career of seemingly mundane missions, flying over an endless ocean, looking for something that you never find. But you are dutifully doing the chore because it's the right thing to do. That's what waiting on God can look like. How about the people floating around in the ocean? Be still and know that I am God is a lot easier in a waiting room than it is clinging to life, bobbing around in the Pacific. Hoping against hope that someone will find you. That's a waiting on God kind of a time. Waiting is the opposite of hurry. You know what I do when I hurry? I project self-reliance. It's all up to me. I've got to get this done. And right in the middle of hurrying at any moment, we can stop and just like slow our roll, oxygenate our brain, and go be still and know that I am God. What's great about that passage is that passage has a second part to it. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. True confession time. This morning has a lot of moving parts and a lot of fun stuff. We have great things to get to. And I was just stressed. I had a lot of different things. And this verse ministered to me. We prayed in the back at the start of first hour. Just God, you're, you're going to be exalted this morning. We're going to lift you up and you've got this. You're going to get your message out. You're going to accomplish your will. Thank you, thank you, thank you for inviting us to get to be a part. So prayer can feel like a waiting room. All right, um, we're going to end each time with a little prayer practice and then we're going to dismiss kids, okay? So here's how we're going to do this. One of the prayer practices um, that I do, and I would invite you to do it, is... Before I do Bible reading, before I do devotional reading, before I do praying, I just still myself before the Lord. And this is a picture of just saying, you're the creator, I'm the created being, and it looks like this. It looks like sitting in an office chair and just being still. And what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to do what I do in my office, which is to set a timer. When you set a timer, you don't need to keep checking how long it's been. You can just sort of set a time and then relax. I'm going to set a timer for two minutes, and here's my invitation to you. What if for the next month, as often as you can, every day, great, overachiever, I love it. Once, and then forgetting it, and then I remember you, remind you next Sunday, you're like, oh, that's right, great. But what if you just set a timer for two minutes, and just sat before your maker, and here's a prayer I've been praying this week. It's just something really simple. I am my beloved's, and he is mine. 
It could be just something simple like, I welcome you, Holy Spirit, in my life right now. Um, you don't need to have a big, long... It's not a prayer time. It's not a study time. It's just being still before your maker. So I'm going to set a two-minute timer, and I'm going to stop talking, and we're going to practice this. Sound good? By the way, if you want to grow this muscle, do this for a month. And then the following month, set a timer for four minutes. And the month after that, set a, a timer for six minutes. And eventually get to 10 minutes. And 10 minutes of stillness right now sounds like a lot. It may be that three years from now, you would look back on the 10 minutes of stillness that starts your day, and you go, man, I don't know when, but that has become indispensable to my life. I can't imagine doing a day without that. So that's the invitation. Uh, Two minutes starts right now. I'm going to be quiet. Just sit quietly before your maker. So silence just means the words stop, and stillness can mean the screens stop, the page in front of you stops, the checklist stops and is gone. Church, great job for doing that. Maybe it was a strange practice to do here in church, but there's great power in sitting before something so much bigger and larger than us. We're going to sing and move on. Kiddos, you guys are dismissed. Great job at doing that prayer exercise. Let's sing. Church, I'm going to invite you to either stand or stay seated in that same mindset of just being still before the Lord. Oh,
ceasing, give thanks to God in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let me give you a second thing that prayer feels like, and as we do, let's go ahead and take the offering right now. Uh, We're going to pass this. This is part of our worship, so thank you, Les and crew. If you're taking notes, write this down. The second thing prayer feels like is breathing. Um, I don't want to traumatize anyone, but uh, I came out first service just wearing this. Remember these beauties? We had a time in our history that I just couldn't have imagined before, but we were all thinking about breathing. You don't think about breathing until you can't breathe. You don't think about breathing until it's hard to breathe. All of a sudden, it becomes the very most important thing. I'm not sure how we got on this topic, but the guys were sitting around at the men's retreat, and we were all recounting. You've probably had this, this thing happen, but um, where, where you're in a store, and then someone does this. They pull their mask down, and they sneeze. And like I've, I had this happen multiple times, and it's like, that's the whole reason the mask is on your face. That very moment. And I wanted to just call a time out and say, this, this is a foul. Like, this isn't how the mask is supposed to be used. But why don't they want to do this? Because they don't want to breathe in their own sneeze. I don't blame them. So we've all been thinking about breathing a lot less today than we did a couple of years ago. Is that right? Yeah, because all of a sudden we had to wear this and we were thinking about it. I want you to think of prayer like breathing. If we're told to pray without ceasing, it would be something akin to this. Hey, live without breathing. I mean, I mean, don't ever stop breathing. That's, that's a weird statement. Um, don't ever stop breathing, right? Breathe without ceasing. Okay, got it. 
You want to be healthy, it goes without saying that you ought to breathe always. That's just a normal part of your physical health. If that's not happening, then nothing else really matters. So pray without ceasing means this. If our picture, I was taught to pray this way. I've been in church a long time and at home. Fold your hands, close your eyes, and bow your heads. Okay? Is that a good way to pray? I think that is a good way to pray. You can also pray like this, right? This is a far more Jesus Jewish way to pray. Lift your head and lift your hands and look up to the heavens. But if this is your only posture for prayer, or if this is your only posture for prayer, then you can't possibly pray without ceasing. We have to have an enlarged view of what prayer is and not just this. And certainly not just at this location or a, or a location like it with a cross on top of its roof. So prayer is something much more. It's like breathing. Let me see if I can help sort of drive this home a little bit. This is a scuba tank for scuba divers, okay? And with scuba uh, tanks, my son works at a dive shop, and there can be racks and racks of scuba tanks sitting there. And we can sit and talk about them, talk about the different features of them, trust that there's air inside of them, trust that they all work, and discuss all the merits of air tanks. And in some ways, that would be something like talking about prayer, or reading a book about prayer, or memorizing a scripture about prayer. Hey, pray without ceasing. Hey, good. All of that means I've talked about prayer, but I've never personally experienced prayer. It's different to talk about a scuba tank than actually breathe from a scuba tank. Make sense? So we just sang a song about, uh, about experiencing God personally and not just talking about him from a distance. So it's one thing to discuss it personally. You may even strap one of these bad boys on your back and then do what's called a surface swim. Sometimes the place you're actually wanting to dive is like a few hundred yards out to sea. So you swim along the top of the ocean before you drop down to dive. And you don't want to use up your air during that time, so you're just swimming along. Now, while you're swimming along on the surface, you have the air, you have the regulator right here. You could use it, but it's not a necessity. It could be for an emergency. If it suddenly started getting really swirly or whatever else, you could put that in and start breathing like Darth Vader and be totally safe, right? But generally, if you're in the shop talking about prayer or on the surface with prayer available, None of that changes your life like it does when you submerge. When you're diving with a group of buddies, you all look at each other, your regulators are in, you all make eye contact, and you go like this. That means we're all going down together, and we all start to go down. And once you go down, you are suddenly in a completely different world. Being dependent on this lifeline of air called a scuba tank is a really interesting experience. In fact, they teach beginning divers this. Uh, they say over and over and over while you're being trained, do not hold your breath. Do not hold your breath. Why do they say that over and over and over? Because for all of your life up to this point, what do you do when you go underwater? You hold your breath. And I know that because your friends who didn't hold their breath aren't with us anymore, right? You made it. You passed the test. You held your breath. You relied on yourself. But relying on yourself when you go to the world below. I was thinking about this, that you know we're to set our minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are below. And I go, wow, God, I'm submerged in the world below. I am down here. This is my world. It's not my home wasn't really made for this, but I have a lifeline called prayer. And there's coming a day when I'm going to just breathe freely, the air of heaven, and just be done with this world. But while in this submerged world below, I don't rely on myself. You know what happens if you rely on yourself in terms of breathing? You either are very, very, very shallow, because you can hold your breath for little bits of time, right? The, the best in this room could probably do it for like a minute and a half, Probably most of you would find 30 seconds right now very, very challenging. And when you're underwater and like realizing the surface is up there, (laughs) you tend to want to breathe faster. So if you're self-reliant, you're either a really shallow person or you're a dead person. Because if you go very deep relying on yourself, you will simply die. So never stop praying. Don't hold your breath. Don't rely on yourself. Let me say it this way. Just as you'd never take a journey under the sea without air... 
don't go anywhere without prayer. That's what the scriptures teach. It's that important. Don't go anywhere without praying. So again, has to be more than this, right? Let me hand you some scriptures. It's actually already in your hands. There's a bunch of scriptures on there that serve as a great Bible study tool this week. Uh, One of the things they train you with scuba diving is this. If you somehow have a blockage from the top of this regulator, I mean, from the top of that tank to your mouth, you have severe problems, really big problems. You have to figure out that, you have to figure that out very, very quickly or you will die. So the Bible teaches some like airway blockages that would stop us from praying. I'm going to give them to you now. So what is it that hinders our prayer? If you're taking notes, write this down. Sin. Sin hinders our prayer. These verses are in your notes, so you don't need to scramble, but Isaiah 59, 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. Iniquities is a fancy word for sin. Your sins have have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. That's a really sobering verse. How about Psalm 66? He writes, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. So you want to know what blocks your your prayer? Sin does. Here's the second thing, disobedience. In Proverbs 1, 28, it says, then they will call upon me. That sounds good so far, but I will not answer. Why is God not answering people who are calling on him? Tells us. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. The Lord's prayer begins this, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And what Romans 1 talks about is a terrifying scene where people, instead of placing themselves under the fatherhood of God, either pretend or preach that he doesn't even exist. Instead of esteeming his name, which is attached to his character, they esteem and build a reputation for themselves. And instead of having any concern about God's will and God's kingdom, they're concerned with building their will and their kingdom. And what Romans 1 talks about is a terrifying scene where slowly but surely, God lovingly just begins to step back and let people who have willingly chosen created things rather than their creator have their way. And that's what this passage is talking about. God doesn't say, fine, you're not going to listen to me. I'm not going to listen to you. He doesn't do that. He gives time after time after time because he's long-suffering. But eventually he says, okay, you get to have the fill of your own choice. And that's sort of the terrifying scene that we see in Romans 1. That's disobedience. Here's another one, selfishness. James 4, 3, you ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. That's a hindrance to our prayer. How about injustice? Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. That ought to be a wake-up call to any of you who are like just consumed with your life and your household and that's it. And not the injustices going on around you that you have power to step into. Here's another one that hinders our prayer, lack of faith. James 1, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Let me give you the one that maybe is the biggest culprit to keeping us from praying and hindering our prayers. It's simply the word hiding. We've already sung about shame, We've sung about the presence of God. Think back to the garden for a moment. Why did Adam and Eve hide? Because they were ashamed. They were naked and ashamed. And in prayer, you think about how exposing prayer is. 
Right now, someone is talking to you, and you can diligently be doing something. It's like me in the waiting room. I've got something to do. If you're memorizing scripture, your brain is working on that. If you're reading, you're, you're, you're doing that. If you're serving, your hands are busy. But in prayer, even the exercise we just did for two minutes, sit before your creator, naked, exposed, your mouth stopped. There's something really exposing about that. And I think hiding is perhaps a number one culprit of why people don't spend time in prayer. The thought of mimicking what the psalmist says, you have searched me and know me, sounds terrifying. So what are some open airways? What are some things that help with prayer? Well, the Bible talks all about that as well. Number one is humility. In Luke 18, he tells about two people that go to the temple. One's a Pharisee, one's a tax collector. And he tells this story to a group of people who were proud and treated other people with contempt. Luke tells us why Jesus told the story, and that's why he told it. Psalm 51 says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So humility is number one. How about single-mindedness? This is from our youth group. Our youth group's been memorizing verses. This is the last part of it. Jeremiah 29, 12 says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. Listen to the single-mindedness. You will seek me and will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I see youth mouthing out. I love it. You know what that two-minute prayer at the start of your day could be? God, not to the left, not to the right today. It starts right in the morning. I'm single-minded on you. Keep me focused on you. Here's another one. Obedience. 1 John 3.21. This is an amazing passage. Obedience. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Now, don't misread this to say, if I obey God, He has to listen to my prayer and give me what I ask for. You know what that's doing? That's taking you, little created being, and putting yourself above God. Don't ever do that. The reason people think prayer doesn't work is they go, I see that verse and I'm trying to do that. I'm like, no, you're trying to be God over God. That's never going to work. See point one, humility. But here's what obedience means. Obedience means Jesus said it was his food to do the will of God. To, to be in love with Jesus, to follow his commandments are not burdensome to us. It's actually what we want to do. It's our deepest longing. So you find yourself waking in the morning. God, I'm single-mindedly focused on you. I have school today. I have work later on. I've got chores at home. I've got practice over here. But in all of that, I'm single-mindedly focused on you. And when we walk in obedience, you know what we can know? We can know that we can ask things from God and say, God, I know you care about this. You tell us, ask. And so I'm asking in your name. And I'm walking the path that you've given to me. And so please do it. Come down and do this. We get to bold, pray bold prayers when we're walking in obedience. Two more very quickly, righteousness. Proverbs 15, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. Man, that's so good. Last one, faith. Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to this fig tree, that was a small thing in comparison, but if you say to this mountain, be taken up and go to the heart of the sea, it will happen. I'm going to have the band come up in just a second, but um, go ahead and pull the house lights off, uh, Alex. And the way we're going to pray right now is this. We're going to lead into a time of communion. And as we do so, uh, I just want to open up prayer for any of these things. God, we want open airways. We don't want blocks in our airways. And so maybe one of the verses I just read, you could just, as part of prayer, you can read that out. Another thing I was thinking just as a church, we have horrible things happening in the Middle East right now. We read our Bibles and we see that the Holy Land, Israel, is a part of this whole story that God's working on. And so we call on the name of God for the injustice and the tragedy going on, the comfort needed, the protection needed. So let's pray right now, not only over our own heart and our own church and neighborhood, but over our world and it'll kind of lead us into a, a time of communion. So, band, come on up. And uh, Lucas, if you could just play some keys after the prayer time, that'd be great.
So just to be clear, now is the time to pray out loud, by the way. So if you're praying, pray out loud so we can hear you. pass out the elements now for communion and as we do we'll just stay in a kind of a spirit of prayer and um, can we just do maybe a chorus or something Lucas just kind of short while it gets passed out thank you first and second verse of this song and the same idea of just singing I'm just going to sing in prayer this is going to be our prayer this morning sing this with me, it's called I Surrender we're just going to sing through the first and second verse that the events that really began the most important events in history, the night Jesus was betrayed, he called his inner circle to go a little further with him into the Garden of Gethsemane. And what did he have them do? He had them pray. He led them to pray. And as we take communion, we do what Jesus says to do. We remember him as we look back and think on his body broken for us. So if you take the little wafer out, and as Jesus gave the instruction, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take this and eat in remembrance of me. And so we remember the death of Jesus Christ together. And it says in the same way he took the cup, He took the Passover cup, which is a backward-looking feast that God instilled in the Jewish people. And in communion, he actually gave it new significance. This is my blood that has been poured out for you, sacrificed for you. My blood spilled so yours doesn't have to. And he gave us a forward-looking component to drinking the cup. That as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death Listen to this, until he comes. So when we pray over wars, when we pray gut-level honest prayers about sin, failure in our life, as recent as this morning, we stand on the firm foundation of Christ, washed in the blood of Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're proclaiming this today by the act of drinking this. So let's take this together, church, and proclaim his death until he comes again. Well, I'm going to give you our third and final here, and it's going to be very brief. But the third way prayer feels like is prayer feels like a really important job. 
There's many scriptures where it's talked about this way, and one of the things I hope you will do, I hope you'll go to Matthew 6 and learn right from Jesus about prayer. But one of the things I want, I'm not going to read anything from Matthew 6 this morning. Here's what I want you to catch. Jesus says this, when you pray, dot, dot, dot. And then he gives all kinds of instruction and demonstration. And when you pray just signifies, it's like me saying, as you breathe. Like when you breathe, do it this way. We already know this is just what Christians do. You wonder why you don't have an internal uh, thriving inner life? It's because of this. You wonder why you do? It's the breath of God in you. So when you pray, Jesus says, he just assumes it's going to happen for all those who've been born again. Prayer really changes things. It affects the real material world of ours and is worth giving ourselves to. Listen to a small sampling of these. Colossians 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Doesn't that sound like a really important job? It's because it is. 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. If you're self-controlled and sober-minded, do you have better relationships? Yes. Are you a better church person? Yes. Do you get along better with your neighbors? Yeah. But you know what? This is saying do that not just for personal fulfillment. Do it for the sake of your prayers. Christian, you have a very important job to do. And young and old of us, we've all been employed in this to pray. As pastors, I want you to know we are patterning ourselves after the Acts 6-4 model, which says, and they devoted themselves to prayer and ministry of the word. We have our new uh, stickers in. This is compliments of Sharon Adam, who took this project on, but they look like this. So this is my community group journal for this season, and uh, these stickers are available right outside. We have the white background, and we have sort of a see-through background. So already at Young Adults on Sunday night, um, we had someone grab one and boom, slapped it on their, on their uh, hydro flask right away. It was pretty cool. I'm like, yeah. Um, but that little devoted says we're devoted to some different things, to learning, to others, to sharing. And what's the fourth one? To praying. Why? Because it's as important as breathing. It's a really important job. And we're giving ourselves to it. We're devoting ourselves to it. That's what we're doing in community group each week. Are we doing more than that? Yes. But are we for sure praying as prayer groups? Yes. I have some really exciting news that we've been itching to announce, and we get to finally announce it today, and I want the elders to come forward, and um, I want Lucas to come forward. Lucas, why don't you come stand front and center right here? Um, As you know, we've been in a bit of a season of transition, and uh, a couple of months ago, we saw Matt and Tracy off on this very stage to go be a lead pastor in the East Bay. Uh, Matt and Tracy are doing great they are overwhelmed, which is fully appropriate in a new position, new church, new lead pastor role. Continue to pray for Matt and Tracy. Um, man, there's never really a lot of our elders this time. We have our men's retreat. So Gria and Chuck were there, and now Andres is leading the class. So anyways, there's more of us. We all are in agreement of this. It's not just the ones who you see who are here. Um, but let me just say this. We were... Um, we were really thrilled to see very, very clearly Lucas was an easy, obvious choice, um, but we've waited this time because we've been devoting ourselves to prayer. We've been giving the process time to say, instead of just rushing the next guy in, uh, Lord, we want to see if this is from you. And what we've seen with Lucas, uh, Lucas has been at our church for seven years. Uh, it's kind of interesting when you stop and ask, like we started thinking about that. We're like, man, so he's getting old. Uh, he's, catch, he's catching up to me. Um, but uh, Lucas has been here for seven years. Think about this. Lucas was part of the interview committee that brought Matt on. He was part of the stabilizing force that came from Ben to Matt. He served faithfully all through Matt's tenure. And not only has he served faithfully, he's been growing steadily. And that's what we've seen. And that's what we are here as elders to lay hands on and affirm. And I'm announcing today. I forgot. I've never made the announcement. Lucas <laughs> is our new full-time youth director. Give it up for Lucas. <laughs> So what does that mean? It means he's really focused on middle school and high school. That's going to be his lane. There's a lot to focus on. God's doing incredible things because we have amazing students, amazing families, and amazing youth team that's pouring in. He's also going to continue with uh, a lot of music stuff. So 
kind of roughly 30 hours youth, 10 hours music, but that's like really convoluted. But he's going to be here full time, and we're thrilled about that. Um, he's going to be taking over Matt's office, so if you want to come bug someone, bug him um, so I can get my work done. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but Lucas is here and around, and Lucas, I want to read something, and then I want to ask Jim and Gria to just pray uh, as we lay hands on you. Um, but uh, Jim, why don't you come over here so you can be, uh, or, or Gria, one of you. There we go. Um, Guys, this is from 2 Timothy 1, and it um, it just serves as kind of a neat commissioning. Paul was writing to a younger pastor, Timothy, and he says this, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you, Lucas, constantly in my prayers night and day. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has given us Uh, a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Jim, would you lead us out? And Gree, would you close us out just praying for a brother? Amen. Amen. Church, let's thank the Lord.